All right, if you'll stand with me as we read from God's Word. As Bruce said, we are continuing the series, Everyone to Everywhere. And this morning we will be reading Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 14. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find this passage on page 636. Again, we'll be reading Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 14. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit... They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Menelimus the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell upon him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Pergam, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and sat down. Let's pray. God, as you bring your message this morning, Lord, we just ask that your word would reach deep into our hearts, Gordon, and challenge us, uh, God, to a deeper commitment to your word and to your mission. Lord, may we seek to tell others about you. Lord, may we just look to the example of Paul and uh, his commitment to the gospel. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Kirk. Appreciate your leading us in our scripture reading. We learned last Sunday that our mission is getting the gospel everywhere. It's getting the gospel here, there, and everywhere. And to do that, not in our own power, but really to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, we saw last Sunday as well that this mission that we have as Christ followers is given to us... uh, When Jesus told us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so this is a mission here in which Jesus gave to his disciples in the first century, and it is still the same mission in which Jesus gives to us disciples as his Christ followers today here in the 21st century. It's the mission of getting the gospel everywhere. Getting the gospel here, there, and everywhere. And you know what? That is exactly what the Antioch church began to do. When the Spirit called Barnabas and Saul to go, and the church at Antioch sent them. The gospel, as we learned last Sunday, was on the move. And the Antioch church was God's instrument in getting the gospel everywhere. 
This is the kind of church we want to be here at Glenwood. We want to be a church that's getting the gospel everywhere. To here, there, and everywhere. We want to be the instruments, if you will, individually and corporately that God uses to accomplish the mission. But anytime we answer the call to go with the gospel, get ready. You say, get ready for what? Get ready for both successes and setbacks, which brings us to the big idea here in our text, our passage of Scripture in which Kirk read for us. In fact, I invite you, if you want to pull out your notes in the insert there in your bulletin, you can follow along and take notes, or you can just follow along on the screen behind me. But notice this, on the move with the gospel. When getting the gospel everywhere, and here's the big idea, the main theme we're going to discover this morning, is that we can expect successes and setbacks. Last week, it was ironic, in preparation for this, I, just, I was on my phone reading, reading uh, the news on USA Today, and, uh, and, and I came across this headline with the caption, Catfish falls from the sky, hits woman on the street. I, I kid you not, I actually read about this. And, and I, I, you know, obviously that is not something you expect to happen in life. Falling catfish weren't generally considered to be one of the hazards of life in Philadelphia until now. Lisa Lobree says she was walking near the city's art museum on the morning of Labor Day when she heard a, quote, rustling in the trees above her and was suddenly slammed in the face with what turned out to be a five-pound catfish. Witnesses saw a bird, possibly a hawk or an eagle, flying away. The bird had apparently dropped the foot-long fish, which fell more than 50 feet through tree branches before hitting Lisa, who was left with a cut on her face. I think it might have hit me in the head, face, and neck because I smelled so bad afterwards. I smelled disgusting, Lisa said. She later adds that she can see the humor in it now, though it wasn't so funny at the time is probably one of the strangest things that have happened to me in my life. She says she did a lot of fishing growing up in Colorado, but this is the first catfish she's ever caught out of the sky. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. The odds of a falling catfish hitting you on the head, I would suggest, or say, are pretty slim. Pretty slim odds. But... We can expect, the odds are very high, we can expect successes and setbacks when it comes to getting the gospel everywhere. Here in Acts 13, Barnabas and Saul head off on their first missionary journey. They had been sent out with the blessing and support of the Antioch church. And no doubt there was this sense of adventure and sense of excitement about this mission they're on. Perhaps that very sense of adventure was the reason John Mark signed up to go with Barnabas and Saul. What we do know for sure is that they weren't very far into this mission when they encountered successes and setbacks. And we can expect the same when getting the gospel everywhere. So the question then becomes for us here this morning, how then? How do we 
respond? How, how should we respond to both successes in life and setbacks in life when it comes to getting the gospel everywhere? What lessons can we pull out of the pages of Scripture here? What lessons can we glean from Barnabas and Saul on the first leg of their missionary journey? And what I want us to do is I want to highlight three lessons for us this morning that we can take home and we can immediately begin to put into practice in our own lives. And the first lesson is this. Number one, when the Spirit sins, go the distance. When the Spirit sins, go the distance. The reality is the Spirit sends all of us. Every Christ follower is called to go with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we know this from when Jesus was here on earth and he told us in Matthew 28, 19, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. He tells us again in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And so all of us here, Every Christ follower, listen, we have a mandate to get the gospel here, there, and everywhere. Now, some fulfill the role of sending, like the church at Antioch, and some fulfill the role of going, like Barnabas and Saul. But everyone is responsible to go here in your neighborhood. Everyone is responsible to go there in your workplace, and everywhere around the world with the gospel. And what we see in Acts 13 is when the Spirit sends, there's only one response. That is to go the distance. We don't argue with the Spirit. We don't compromise with the Spirit. We don't make deals with the Spirit. We simply obey the Spirit. When the Spirit sends, go the distance. And that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas did. In fact, Luke, who is the writer of the gospel, not the gospel, but the Acts of the Apostles here, the book of Acts, Luke records their very travel log here in verses 4 and 5. Notice it, what it says again. It says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. And, and Luke is very emphatic about that. He wants us to understand that although the church at Antioch supported them and sent them out with their blessing and support, it was, in essence, the Spirit of God Himself who was calling them and sending them out. And now they are going in obedience to that. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos. Now, I don't know about you, but as I was preparing this and studying this and reading all these different cities, names, and places, they were all unfamiliar to me. I didn't really recognize any of them except Cyprus. And that may be true of you here. They're unfamiliar. These places are unfamiliar to us. But these pins on the map, they help us to see, and I think that's Luke's intention here, is they help us to see the distance the church covered in those early days of the mission. And they remind us that there is a distance that all of us are called to cover. It's the distance between us and people who do not yet know the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And for some of you, that distance may be around the world. But for others, it may simply be around the block or around the cubicle at work. Either way, there is a distance for every one of us here to cover. Are you willing to go the distance? The Spirit is sending, the Spirit is calling. Are we willing to go the distance? Look on this map here in your notes. And notice the distance Barnabas and Saul traveled with the gospel. It says, first, they went down to Seleucia. Now, Seleucia was the nearest shipping port to the city of Antioch, where they started from. And from Seleucia, they sailed to Cyprus. And Cyprus is an island in the Mediterranean Sea, about 60 miles from the port city of Seleucia. When they got to Cyprus, they arrived in the city of Salamis, which was a major port city on the eastern coast of the island. And then after being in Salamis, they traveled the whole length of the island all the way to Paphos, which was a west coast city 90 miles from Salamis. Here's what I want us to see. By the time their missionary journey was over, Barnabas and Saul would travel over 1,200 miles, it's estimated, to proclaim the gospel everywhere. And what I want you to see is that Barnabas and Saul were willing to log these miles. They were willing to go the distance between themselves and those who needed to hear the gospel. And again, the question for us that is just screaming from the pages of Scripture here is, are you willing to go the distance? That distance may take you many, many, many miles across the world for some of you because the Spirit is calling you. And the Spirit is pricking in your heart to go like Paul and Saul. I mean, Paul and Barnabas. But for others of you, that distance may only take you a few steps across the street to your neighbor, a few steps down the hallway to another student's locker room. It may take you a few steps around the corner of the cubicle where you work. Regardless of where you're at in this, there is a distance for every one of us here to cover. And the question is, are we willing to go the distance? Remember, the Spirit sent Barnabas and Saul, not as tourists, but as witnesses of Jesus Christ with a message to proclaim. And no sooner than they landed at Cyprus, at Salamis, do we find what they're doing in verse 5. Did you catch it when Luke Kirk read it for us? Immediately, I mean as soon as they land on the island, they begin to do what here? It says they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And isn't it interesting that we read of no results. No results. Luke doesn't mention any results from this very first stop on their missionary journey. Luke says nothing about anyone coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ in the city of Salamis. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a great reminder for me. And hopefully it's a great reminder for you. It's a reminder that the very reason that we go the distance is not primarily for results. 
Oh, don't get me wrong. We pray for results. We pray for success in gospel witness. We pray that people will respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the reason, the primary reason that we go the distance is because we are responding to a mandate of Jesus to go and proclaim the gospel. Make no mistake about it, Barnabas and Saul's mission was first and foremost about obedience to Jesus Christ and what he had commanded them to do, and the results were up to the Lord. This is the reason we go. This is the reason we cover the distance, because of our love for Jesus, because of our obedience to Jesus. And as you go and share the gospel, you can't really control the results, can you? People will either believe or they will not believe, as we will see later on in this chapter. Some will accept the gospel, some will reject the gospel. We, in so many different ways, we cannot control that. It is out of our control. What you can control, what I can control, is my own feet to go the distance and my own mouth to proclaim the gospel. And then we leave the results up to the Lord. So the very first lesson that jumps from the pages here in Acts 13 that we learn from Barnabas and Saul is that when the Spirit sins, we what? Oh, that was weak. When the Spirit sins, we what? We go the distance. We go the distance and we do so simply because of our love for Jesus and our obedience to Him. We have a mandate and we obey. Number two, the second lesson, is when the opposition arises, don't back down. Or you can even write, don't quit. When opposition arises, don't quit and don't back down. The realities of going the distance now begin to show themselves. They now begin to surface. Now, little happened at first. Barnabas and Saul traveled the island of Cyprus proclaiming the gospel, but nothing happened. That is, until they proclaimed the gospel in the city of Paphos. And that's when they encountered opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus has his servants that he sends out, folks, listen to me, Satan also has his but what we see here is that God's mission can't be stopped, not even by satanic opposition. Paul, what's interesting, later on, after this very incident here, he would actually call Satan the, quote, God of this world or the God of this age with the implication that he is ruling this earth right now. And he even writes in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. You see, Satan does not want people to come out of the darkness of sin, to come out of the bondage of sin. He wants to keep people blind and in slavery to sin, so they won't see that the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth. And that truth of the gospel is what sets people free. Satan wants people to stay in the dark and he will do everything he can to oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ as well as to oppose those who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reminds me of the far side 
cartoon. How many, how many enjoy Far Side cartoons? Yeah, okay, good. Reminds me of the Far Side cartoon picturing two deer. One deer has a giant target on his chest, and the other deer says, Bummer of a birthmark, Ernie. Some of you will get that a little later. So if you chuckle all of a sudden in the service here a little later, we'll understand why. Bummer of a birthmark, Ernie. And in the same way, when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's like putting a target on us for Satan to aim at. And notice, notice how this opposition, this satanic opposition, played out here in Acts 13. At this time, Cyprus was a, a senatorial province of Rome, and, and Sergius Paulus here was the Roman governor, which is another way of just saying uh, governor and proconsul are the same thing. And so he is like the ruler of, of all of this island here of Cyprus. And Barnabas and Saul traveled the island of Cyprus, proclaiming the gospel from one end of the island to the other end of the island. And Sergius Paulus, the very governor of the island, he hears about this. He hears what's going on in his territory, if you will. And he wants to hear more. He wants to hear more about Jesus Christ. And so he has an open heart. His interest is picked. He is searching for answers. And he wants to hear more about Jesus. And so Luke tells us that Sergius Paulus was even an intelligent man. And according to verse 7, he actually called. He summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Now, that is just utterly amazing to me. Think about this. Here's a guy, Sergius Paulus, and he's the Roman governor of all Cyprus. And these missionaries are absolute nobodies in the Roman world. They have no human authority behind them, and they have no political standing on which to stand on. But they are called by God, and they are sent by God, and now it is God who has gotten them, who has provided for them a hearing before the governor of the whole island of Cyprus. Amazing. Just think. God calls a couple of nobodies from Antioch to make a gospel connection with the governor of Cyprus. I've often wondered what would have happened to Sergius Paulus if Barnabas and Saul hadn't obeyed the call to go. But just as the gospel is about to be shared with Sergius Paulus, a false prophet pops up. A false prophet by the name of Bar-Jesus, and he gets in the way. Notice this in your notes. Bar-Jesus is a false prophet with evil intentions. And Bar-Jesus, he sought to turn away Sergius Paulus from coming to faith in the gospel by opposing Barnabas and Saul from sharing the gospel. And Luke tells us exactly what this false prophet did in verse 8. Look at it here. He says, but Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them. 
Who's the them? Barnabas and Saul. And that term withstood, it means he's standing in the way. He's opposing them. He's getting in the way. He's holding them back. He withstood them from coming and getting access to the governor here. And, and why? Luke tells us, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And it becomes even more clear what this false prophet, this proconsul, has been, not proconsul, but, but uh, uh, the sorcerer has been doing when Paul says to him in verse 10, Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? In other words, this false prophet was distorting God's truth. He was twisting God's truth so the governor would not believe God's truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the verb tense here that Luke uses indicates that Elimus or Bar-Jesus was doing this constantly. That this had been going on for some time. This wasn't a one-time incident. And so this opposition is in the present tense, ongoing. And now Paul and Barnabas want to share the gospel, and he withstands them. He's standing in the way and opposing them from sharing the true gospel with the governor. But Saul, and this is where we see his name being changed. It's the first time where Saul's name, and from here on out in the book of Acts, he's going to be referred to Paul, which most of us know him as, is about, isn't about to back down from this false prophet. Notice this. Paul stood firm in the power of the Spirit against spiritual opposition. He stands his ground. Paul stood firm against this. The battle for the soul of Sergius Paulus has now reached its climax, and Paul stood firm against this false prophet's opposition. Look at Paul's response here in verses 9 and 10. It says, Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And so it's interesting what takes place here because Paul does two things. First of all, he reveals his true motives when he says full of all deceit and all fraud. He's surfacing the motives underlying Elemus here. He had an, an outward religious appearance, but he had inward evil intentions. And then Paul exposes his true identity when he calls him, you son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness, or enemy of all righteousness. In fact, it's interesting, his name Bart Jesus, that means uh, son of Jesus. And so what Paul is doing, he's basically telling him, oh, you claim, you, 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 you're presenting yourself as a son of the Savior, but you are really the son of Satan. And therefore, you are an enemy of God himself that is being used by Satan. Now, Paul here was not afraid to call a spade a spade. He spoke the truth. And he spoke it with conviction, and he spoke it with courage. And he refused to back down. This false prophet does not have the last word in this story, and he does not succeed in making the straight path of the Lord crooked. Now, there is no doubt about it. He would have liked to see the path 
of Paul and Barnabas go out the back door of the palace and dead end the Mediterranean Sea. But that will not happen. Paul pronounces a curse on him. We read that in verse 11. And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. Why? Why this curse? Well, well what's, what's Elim is trying to do? He tried to keep Sergius Paulus in spiritual blindness. And now this curse, because of it, he would now suffer physical blindness for a period of time. And that's exactly what the Lord did in the rest of verse 11 when it says, And immediately this dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Now, what about Sergius Paulus? What happened to him? Oh. Oh, this is the best news of all. I mean, this is phenomenal. Let me tell you, something amazing happened to him. In verse 12, look at it. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, don't miss this. Sergius, he was impressed by the miracle, all right. But folks... He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. That is, he was astonished at the teaching about the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ that Paul and Barnabas eventually proclaimed to him. And Sergius' response to that gospel, to that proclamation, to that teaching was none other than he, what? What did he do? He believed. That is, he had faith. He put his trust in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He believed in Jesus and the gospel for his salvation. And this word astonished here is a good, good clue as to what is taking place in the heart of Sergius. Astonished. It literally means to be struck out of one's wits, to be overwhelmed and amazed. And so when Sergius heard and when he saw the gospel at work, let me tell you, it broke through all his intellectual barriers. It left him overwhelmed and it left him amazed at the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died on the cross and rose again, the one who could save his very soul. And his response was, he believed. It's what happens when we proclaim the gospel. It's what happens when God is at work in somebody's heart. Through our proclamation, through this Holy Spirit's work, and God takes all of that and somehow miraculously turns that heart towards Him to where that person's eyes are now open and they believe. And they are born again. And they have the gift of eternal life. It's what happened to every one of you who have believed on Jesus Christ for your own salvation. Your story is Sergius' story. Perhaps there are circum different circumstances surrounding it, but folks, it's the same power of the gospel that saved you, that saved him. Now notice this. This is a great reminder here for us when getting the gospel everywhere. Our confidence rests in the power of the gospel to save people. That's where our confidence rests. Our confidence does not rest in our slick gimmicks and slick abilities or whatever it may be. 
Our confidence does not rest in and of ourselves. Our confidence rests because Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, so the Spirit of God was working in him. Our confidence rests in the power of the gospel to save. While the power of the Spirit blinded the physical eyes of a man, the power of the gospel opened the spiritual eyes of another man to believe. And the encouragement here is that while we may not have the power to do all the miracles that the apostles did, folks, we do have the very same gospel. Amen? And according to Romans 1.16, that gospel that has been entrusted to us, the same gospel that led us to believe for our salvation, which led Sergius to believe, that gospel, Paul says, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So remember here this morning, take this truth with you out these doors. As we go the distance with the gospel, the story of Jesus' death and resurrection is still able to bring sinners from darkness to light, from death to life, through faith in Jesus Christ. So when the opposition arises, and make no mistake about it, it will. When you go the distance, you will encounter opposition. And when that opposition arises, don't quit. Don't quit, don't back down from doing the work that God has called us to do, which is to go the distance and proclaim the gospel. We stand firm in the power of God's Spirit, and we continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's one more lesson to be learned from Paul and Barnabas. And that's number three here. When disappointments come, keep going and keep sharing. I'm sure most of you here are familiar with Murphy's Law. There's actually several of them. The more familiar one is that if anything go wrong, will if anything can go wrong, it it will. Whoever you are, wherever you are. Disappointments will come. And that is just as true when it comes to getting the gospel everywhere. Paul and Barnabas, now let me put this in context. Just think with me through this for a moment. They have just experienced a spiritual victory over satanic opposition. And I'm sure their hearts are filled with joy, right? Would your heart not be? Would you not be jumping up and down? Would you not be celebrating? This, they're on the very first leg of their missionary journey. They've just been sent out. No results in the first city. They get to the second city, and the governor believes in the gospel. Woo, yeah! You'd be so excited. And they just, and, and in order for that to happen, they had to overcome the opposition. Not just any opposition. Satanic opposition. And so this was a huge success in the gospel's power to save. And right on the heels of success, that success, Paul and Barnabas experienced a huge setback that brought great disappointment to their lives. How then, how should we respond when disappointments come? 
Because they're going to come our way, whether we like it or not. And I would throw out there to us, we should respond the same way as Paul and Barnabas. Keep going the distance and keep sharing the gospel. Notice the reason for their disappointment in verse 13. Here's why they were disappointed. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, so they're now leaving this island of Cyprus, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. That's why they were disappointed. John left them. But don't miss their response to this. And we see their response immediately in the next verse, here in verse 14. But, so we have a contrast, but when they departed from Pergia, they came to Antioch, a different Antioch, this is in Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and sat down. Now when it says they sat down, that doesn't mean they twiddled their thumbs and did nothing. Because immediately, you read in verses 15 and 16, and Paul, after being, after sat down, he's invited to stand up, and he immediately stands up, and he begins to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in one of the greatest sermons that Paul ever preaches, and we'll look at it next Sunday. Now, who is John here? Well, this is John Mark, or the man that we call Mark. In fact, he's the one who would later write the gospel of Mark that's in our Bibles. He's also the cousin of Barnabas. And he initially set out on this first missionary journey as an assistant or as an servant to Paul and Barnabas. And sadly, though, he didn't finish the trip with them. Instead, he returned home to Jerusalem. Now, let me just interpret this for you. Because the writer here, Luke, he's being really, really nice when he says John returned home to Jerusalem. Because Paul, later on, will later refer to that return home to Jerusalem, and he will say, no, he didn't return home, he deserted us. And so you can immediately begin to sense the disappointment of John Mark's desertion that it caused Barnabas and Saul. But why? Why did John desert this team and return home? Well, Luke doesn't tell us why. And so no one really knows for sure. What we have are some theories. Some think that the realities and the hardships of the missionary life were just too much for John to handle. So he went back home. He quit. Others suggest John was upset that his uncle Barnabas was now no longer the leader of the missionary team and that Paul was now the leader. He was the one leading the way. Perhaps there was sickness along the way. Perhaps John Mark was just homesick. Whatever the reason for John's departure, this three-party missionary team was now down to two. And as you might imagine, this caused great disappointment. In fact, this would later prove to be a major hurt and heartache in the life of Paul and a source of division between Paul and Barnabas. When they were preparing to go on their second missionary journey, Paul was not impressed by Barnabas' suggestion, hey, let's take John Mark with us again. And Paul's like, no way. In fact, Paul tells, says, we're told in Acts 15, verse 38, 
Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work of the mission. Now, unfortunately, as you live out this mission that God has called us to, that Jesus has gave us, this mission of getting the gospel everywhere, there are going to be people who are beside you one day and leave you the next day. That is just the realities of God using imperfect people to accomplish His perfect plan. But here's what's really important. That is how we respond. How we respond to these disappointments is critical to us being used by God for further ministry. Because here's what happens. So often when disappointments come into our life, so often we let those very disappointments sidetrack us from the mission that God has given to us. And sometimes we let those disappointments even stop us from fulfilling the mission and living on mission. But the lesson here from Barnabas and Saul is when disappointments come, keep going the distance. Keep sharing the gospel. Now there's actually another lesson here that I want to emphasize. And although it's not mentioned here in Acts, it is recorded by the Apostle Paul later on, and that's the lesson we learned from John Mark. You see, it's important, it's critical how we respond to people who desert us on the mission. But it's just as critical on how we respond if we're the ones that are deserting the mission in the team. And that's what we learn from John Mark here. And maybe you're here this morning and you can identify a whole lot more with John Mark. Maybe somewhere along the way in your life, you backed out of serving God and living on mission with God. Instead, you departed to, if we can say it this way, live your own life and do your own thing. For whatever reason. And so John Mark can be sort of a great example for you to follow. You see, we know that somewhere down the road, John Mark, listen to this, he got back on mission in his life. And eventually, Paul considered Mark to be a fellow laborer with him, a fellow servant and minister with him. And at the very end of the Apostle Paul's life, he would actually tell Timothy, another young protege of his, to, hey, go get Mark. I'm dying. Get Mark and bring him back to me. For he was profitable to me in ministry. In other words, he was useful to me. And of course, Mark was used by God to write the Gospel of Mark. And so John Mark proves to us, get this in your mind and in your heart, grip it with everything you have, because he proves to us that failure in life does not have to determine the rest of your life. Folks, listen, one of the greatest things about serving on mission with our Lord, with Jesus Christ, is that He gives those who have failed Him second chances, even third chances. With, when Jesus went to His mission on the cross, do you realize that every single one of His disciples deserted Him? They all ran. 
But after Jesus rose from the dead, he found them and he commissioned them to be his witnesses and to get the gospel everywhere. So regardless of your failures in the past, please know God's grace, it's so much bigger. It's so much greater. His grace is more than sufficient to forgive you. His grace is more than sufficient to send you back on the mission. You have a mission to get the gospel everywhere. And if you're not pursuing it, start now. Go where Jesus sends you. And if you have perhaps departed from that mission, then get back on it. Listen, Jesus still forgives. Jesus still sins. And he still uses those he forgives. And he still sustains those that he sends. Can we expect successes on the mission? Absolutely. Can we expect setbacks on the mission? Absolutely. When the Spirit sends, go the distance. When opposition arises, don't quit. Don't back down. When disappointments come your way, you keep going and you keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Now you'll notice at the bottom of your notes where it says praying for everyone everywhere. And that's what I want us to do for our response. I want to invite you to pray these four prayer requests on behalf of yourself and behalf of our church. And so the instrumentalists are going to play. We're not going to have any singing. They're just going to play. And I want to invite you to take a few minutes here and just go to the Lord in prayer. And just, just pray through these four requests. And if all you do is verbalize them word for word back to the Lord, that's great. If you want to put them in your own words and add more to it, that's even better yet. But I'm asking all of us as a church family here to go to the Lord in prayer and to pray through these as our response. Oh Lord, left to ourselves, we will all turn back from you. Dismayed because we expect greater results or we're afraid because the opposition is too much for us or discouraged because the hardships slow us down. Lord, each of us in our own hearts is at times a deserter like John Mark. And so help us, O oh God, to live out the mission in your Spirit's power to persevere in triumph through our Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.